Welcome. You have been invited to Sacred Space, a previously pre-recorded live stream chat where we discuss yoga on and off of the mat. I am your host, Breezy Bree, and you are listening to Yoga Podcast. You can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com and always check out the show notes for more information, including a link to the website. Welcome. Namaste. We are live. Welcome. Thank you so much for attending today's live stream chat. I am so honored to be able to host today's topic, which is all about dealing and coping with grief, utilizing healing modalities such as yoga, and different ways that we can begin to really create awareness as we embark on this journey. I have an amazing moderator helping me today. Her name is Kelsey, and she will be facilitating the chat questions for me as well as answering questions directly to you. And we are going to really dive deep. We have quite the turnout as well. So thank you so much for the sacred space that you are all holding for each other and for me. And let's go ahead and let's get started. So as many of you know, I also pre-record these live streams and host them on yoga podcasts for the listeners. So as I address your questions, just know I will not be shouting out your name. So we will um, just acknowledge that you have a question and answer it. But that is why, okay, I want to maintain your anonymity throughout today's live stream chat session. So let's dive deep into the topic, shall we? Grief. Grief is something that we all experience at various times of our lives. Rather, we are going through a loss of any magnitude. It could be something as minor as losing an idea or a concept of what you thought your life was going to be to death, a loss of a loved one, which is usually when we are really able to have more open awareness. Grieving loss due to death is something that is more, I think, acceptable in our society. We're allowed to lean into that feeling. But there's a lot of loss that happens day to day that I think we are not necessarily encouraged to accept the process of grief in the way that we are if it's death. So I think that's really important for us to consider as well. So some of the ways that you all responded to the questionnaire before this chat was 
loss of breakups, divorce, loss of a job, aging, which I thought was really interesting, infertility, the death of a loved one, which we just discussed, the death of a pet, which can fall under death of a loved one. Someone has here losing a functionality of your body. So that could be anything, right? It's, it's losing eyesight, losing cognitive awareness, maybe even losing a limb, losing, um, you know, your sexual appetite. Those are all feelings that you need to deal with that are taken for granted. Let me see if anyone had anything else on their survey. Losing creativity. I love this because that aligns with chakras. I'm just going to jot that down because it's not on my other list. Okay, so I think that those are some really good ideas and concepts that we can consider. So now that we've discussed some of the topics of grief that you all have expressed are a part of your present day life, let's talk about coping with grief and the stages of grieving. Now, when we think about stages, I want you to think about this from the chakra perspective, which all of you who are in this sacred space today are familiar with the chakra system, but I'm going to give you a quick overview just so you can begin to think about it in the same respect. So with the chakras, I like to think of the chakra system as steps, like a staircase essentially. And you begin to build upon one to get to the other. Sometimes we think about jumping and leaping past a few of the stages or the steps in the chakra system. But it is in my teachings and in my own practice that whenever you think you're doing that, it's sort of a mask. It's covering up the areas that you are choosing or maybe subconsciously or unconsciously choosing to, I guess, ignore is the best way to think about it. So in my experience, you have to acknowledge where you're at at any given time on that system, sort of like a scale, so to speak, not to judge yourself, but to take note. It's like you're diagnosing where you're at on a spiritual level. And so When we think about the first chakra, it's all about the root. It's about being grounded, feeling safe and secure. I like to think of it as a tree that's rooted well beneath the earth's surface. The roots, depending on how safe and secure you feel, is how deep and really embracing of the earth's soil, feeling that energy, the nutrients, all that comes with that is how you can think about how safe and secure you feel. So if your roots are not that grounded, they're just starting to grow into the earth's surface, it's going to be much easier for the wind or 
some event to be able to extract those roots from beneath the earth. So if you think about yourself in that same respect, you might feel rooted and grounded, but how rooted and grounded are you? You know, how deep do your roots truly go? Can they really support all that is above the surface? So that's the first chakra. The second one is the sacral chakra, and it's all about that space of identity. I like to think of it this way because when you consider that this is where your sex organs live, this is where your reproductive organs live, this is where you are a creator, whether that's of life literally or just figuratively, this is where you feel your sense of true self, right? How connected you are in this space really has a lot to do with what comes after that. So if you feel safe and secure in the root chakra, this space should make you feel like you know who you are on a foundational level. Maybe not on a a level where you feel completely planted in who you are, in your identity, but you have a really good foundation of who you are. And this is where trauma really shows up, right? It shows up in the root as well if you don't feel safe and secure. If you're really suffering from, let's say, like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or any type of post-traumatic stress syndromes, you're going to feel that. You're going to see that in the root chakra, right? If you do not feel safe and secure. But some people feel the roots, right? They feel rooted. They're not maybe deep roots, but you're rooting into that that space. This is the second place where you will really notice where your trauma lives. This is where you have been disconnected from if you have experienced trauma, okay? And... This is also where people feel disconnected from if they've grown up in really religious homes, really dominant homes, places where they weren't allowed to express themselves, get to know themselves, where they feel shame and and guilt, okay? So this is an area where we really want to work on because this is where your creativity blossoms from. This is where you become best version of yourself in the making. Then the third chakra is the solar plexus, and this is where your self-empowerment resides. And this is important because this is your I am statement. This is your conviction. How convicted can you really feel if the roots are not grounded, the creativity, that feeling of who you are, that foundational part of self isn't really awakened, right? You won't be able to stand there. I always think of the solar plexus like you're standing there with your armor, your shield, and you're ready. You're like Superman, Wonder Woman, that type of energy, like that superhero of your own life energy. And that's really how I think about the solar plexus. And then once you feel aligned in that space, you move up to the heart chakra. But typically people try to live in the heart chakra even before they feel aligned in the sacral and 
the solar plexus. They'll just move right up to the heart chakra and try to be empathetic, sympathetic, compassionate, and they spend their entire lives giving, right? Because giving is a form of coping. It's a form of dealing with areas in your life that have not been resolved, right? So when in doubt, we just give of ourselves. And in some way, it's giving away our own power, but it's in a way where you feel in control of it. It's like I'm choosing to support another person. I'm choosing to give all my energy away away to others. And it's a beautiful thing, but we don't want to do it because we haven't done the work on our own lives. And that's where it becomes toxic. Okay. Sometimes I think of the toxic positivity, you know, awakening that's happening right now in this place. It's really in that heart chakra where you haven't felt aligned in the other spaces because you become toxic toxically positive. It's like, I'm just going to ignore, 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 and just pretend everything's amazing. And I'm going to give of my energy to others. And I'm going to form community. I'm going to be a good person, right? It's, it's that mentality. And when done in a space that's not from a place of truly being healed, it is indeed toxic. Sorry, that is my critters starting to awake. So let's continue. Once you have aligned the root chakra, the sacral chakra, the solar plexus, and you really feel the healing because that's really where you're going to feel it. Then when you move into the heart chakra space organically and intentionally, what it looks like is it looks like taking your experience And not reliving it from a place of being triggered, but taking your experiences in life and utilizing those experiences to have empathy, sympathy, and compassion for yourself and for others. It is a whole different vibration. So when you think about it, it's, it's doing the work on your life so that then you can truly mentor, teach, and live your life in a way that is really from a place of being healed. And that is what we are all striving to do. And you can see the differences between that toxic positivity and truly being of gratitude, regardless of what has been presented to you throughout your own life. Now, what we're going to talk about in a moment is stages of fluctuation. You're not always going to be able to hold sacred space for yourself 24-7. And that's why we're having this live stream, right? So that we can figure out how and why and be okay and expect. Once you expect something, it changes the intensity of the outcome. It's like, I expect it to rain, so I'm going to take my umbrella with me. And if it doesn't rain, I just don't end up using the umbrella. But if it does, I have my umbrella. That is what we're doing when we're dealing with stressors of life, coping with grief, and understanding ourselves. 
We're just having an umbrella on standby for whenever we need it. But it's not always going to rain. But when it does, we're prepared. We're not caught out in the rain and we're not feeling any kind of way about the situation as it presents itself because we have this sense of survival of preparation instead of this fight or flight reflex, okay? So it's something that separates us from every other animal in the animal kingdom is the ability to have forward thinking, to be able to plan and strategize for the future. My little dogs that are sitting here with me as we're going through this live stream, they have no idea what is going to happen tomorrow. They are not planning for tomorrow. They are living in the moment. They are completely reactive. Now, as a human, being reactive is stressful, okay? We want to be proactive, and that is essentially where the practice of yoga comes in. But I'm jumping way ahead. So now we've discussed the heart chakra. The next is the throat chakra. This is, again, another place. People tend to skip over the sacral and the solar plexus, as I mentioned, and they jump straight to the heart chakra. And then the next place that people tend to jump. So we have the toxic positivity crowd. They live in the heart chakra without having really done the work on their own lives. And then we have the other group of people who sometimes skip the heart chakra and they go directly to the throat chakra. And it looks something like, I'm going to express my feelings to the nth degree to anyone who will listen. I'm going to stand up for myself at all costs. And that shows up and presents itself in a way where people tend to overreact. Let's say someone is giving them constructive criticism. And instead of taking it as that because they feel really grounded and rooted and and they understand themselves, they think of that constructive criticism as just criticism. So someone cannot even give them a recommendation, especially you see this in a working environment You tell somebody, hey, next time you should consider fill in the blank. And instead of them thinking, oh, that's a great idea. I will consider that. Let me figure out how that information coupled with my own thoughts can create a better solution for our client or our organization or the team. The person immediately feels judged, feels like, It's their fault, feels wronged, and instead of being introspective, sometimes that person then becomes vicious and attacks or reacts in a way that is actually harmful and counterproductive. And this is very, very common, especially when you're finding yourself involved with other humans. This shows up in dating, this shows up in relationships, this shows up in work environments, okay? And this is a really dangerous place to live because what ends up happening is you end up isolating yourself. You you become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And where you're looking for connection, you're creating destruction. And this is usually when people 
start to alienate the ones who love them the most. People do not want to be around people who are toxic. And the person isn't toxic, but their behavior is toxic. And I know all of you are thinking, I see a lot of people shaking their heads, yes. And those who are listening on Yoga Podcast, I know you have instances in your life where you can completely point out a person right away. The moment I said it, you thought of somebody. And you probably didn't think of yourself, but you thought of somebody. And so this is another place where you can see where people are not healed. If you are ever in a situation with another person and you see them reacting to what shouldn't be a reaction in the way that they are being, you know, um, feeling judged or shamed or um, they react in a way that's destructive, then you already know, oh, okay, this person hasn't healed in some area in their life. And this is a good time and opportunity for you to decide if you want to include yourself in community with that person. If, if you have the strength and the healing and the ability to be around people like that or a person like that. And some of us do to an extent. No one does full time. I can tell you that no matter how aligned your own chakras are. Now, what does this space look like when you've done the work and you're aligned in the other chakras? It looks like listening. Instead of needing to speak your truth, shouting it from the rooftop, telling anybody who will listen, exuding aggressive, assertive behaviors just to get your point across, it's listening, it's silence, it's speaking your truth in places that matter, not speaking your truth just because that's the only way you think you matter, okay? It's standing up for others. It's speaking the truths of others. It's advocacy. It's healing. It's it's doing the work. It's also being able to have a healthy conversation, possibly even a healthy debate with others without being offended. It's having opposing opinions in a healthy way. It's true dialogue. That's what it looks like when it's healed. Now, you may be able to do this depending on what the topic is, right? So let's say you're talking about a topic that's not that polarizing to you. So someone put on this list infertility. So let's say you've never experienced infertility and you're having a conversation about infertility. You're able to debate, listen, have dialogue, be very healthy in the discussion of infertility. You're very aligned in that space. This isn't a trigger for you. Now, let's say you have experienced infertility and you're still dealing with that sense of loss. You're still grieving. And so for you, if someone says, oh, I don't think infertility is a big deal or whatever their opinion is, this is a trigger now for you. And where for someone else, they would be able to have this conversation in a gentle way, you're not able to do that, right? You're feeling triggered. You're feeling like you're losing a sense of self and having the discussion. We all can experience 
topics or triggers that takes us and knocks us off of our rocker, which I've talked about extensively in the sacred space groups, as well as on yoga podcasts for the listeners, where in one area of your life, you are completely feeling rooted and and feeling empowered and feeling compassionate and you're feeling everything in alignment. You're feeling your high vibrational self. It's not until you're discussing something that is painful for you that you realize your bubble has been busted, right? And that's why therapy, healing therapeutics, however you want to categorize and classify it is really important for your life because what it ends up doing is it allows you to be in scenarios where you have to do the work, you have to discuss the areas that trigger you, and you work through it in a safe safe space, essentially, which is what these groups were really all about in the beginning, especially the um, trauma-informed safe space group. It was about working through the areas of your life while you feel safe and secure and you're not going through a present day trigger, right? And that is the goal and the hope of the scenario. You don't want to find out how you feel about something in the middle of something, essentially. And then from there, we move up to what I like to refer to as our intuition. It is what is known as the third eye in yoga. And what that signifies is it's a a different outlook. Think about it this way. You're looking with your two eyes, right? And you see what's in your perception. It all depends on how you see things. That third eye sees things through wisdom, through intuition. It's It's not seeing it exactly how it is. It's seeing it on a deeper level. This is such an important part of living and being connected because you want to be able to see your life from a deeper, deeper, intuitive space. But I like to think of this area as trusting yourself, If you do not trust yourself, you will not be able to truly trust another. If you do not trust yourself and you think you trust someone else, you truly do not feel empowered, right? Because there's a power that you're giving away. And if that person has a human response, notice how I said a human response, meaning At any time, they can shatter whatever this trust is that you consider yourself giving and doing. And that's scary because essentially we all have an inherent trust. We trust that the building we're sitting in is going to be able to support us, that the car we're driving is going to get us from point A to point B, that the government that we are a part of is doing their job and keeping us safe, that these inherent spaces of trust are established and that we do not have to do anything other than live our lives. 
Now, if we're walking across a bridge and it collapses beneath our feet, that trust has been demolished in a nanosecond, right? That happens all of the time, especially where the area where people put breakups, we lose this sense of trust because we essentially gave away the power to another. And we're going to talk about that in a while. But you get the idea. So the first important rule of thumb is trusting yourself. Now, I love this because sometimes we think we trust ourselves. But when you really do the work, you become really introspective. You really dig deep into what we call your shadow side, which is understanding that polarity of who you are for every lightness there's a darkness for every goodness there's the opposite everyone has these balancing acts within themselves even if they don't acknowledge or recognize it but when you start to do the work you are i don't want to use the word force but encouraged to get to understand that and it's important because what you start to unravel is areas in your life where you don't trust yourself. An area that someone just put in the chat is um, eating food. This is a huge area where no matter who you are and what you're doing, you know that you don't trust yourself with your favorite food, that box of cookies, that ice cream. Um, you know, if you're trying to slim down for summer bikini season, you, you may not trust yourself to go past your favorite fast food restaurant or eat your favorite, you know, pepperoni pizza slice or whatever it is, right? This is a, a pretty common area for all of us. Somewhere along the lines, we all can relate. It doesn't have to be full out eating disorder, you know, binge eating, overeating, under eating. It could just be acknowledging, oh yeah, you know, I understand that. I understand that if someone put me in front of Rocky Road ice cream, I may not be able to <laughs> ignore that. So great example. And then after that chakra, the third eye chakra, we go to the crown chakra. And this is where we will conclude. There are a few other chakras. There's hundreds of other chakras, actually. But these are the seven main chakras, the seven main steps of awareness and introspection. The crown chakras, like the holy grail, right? That is... The area that I like to think of it like a crown that sits on top of your head It is the arrival. It's the understanding. It's the being connected to something that's greater than self. It's understanding that there's infinite possibilities. It's true faith. True faith. I love this idea because if you think about it, if you're struggling in the other chakras, especially number one, that root chakra, Having faith is the last thing on your mind. Thinking about the future, possibilities, having hope, all of that is really the last thing on your mind when you are not feeling safe and secure. If you think about it from the perspective of being hungry or even better, having the flu, 
and you just feel so sick? Have you ever just been in your bed feeling like this is it? I, I might not make it through this. Knowing somewhere intellectually that you're just suffering from the flu, no big deal. Of course, this is, you know, pre-COVID times where we would just lay in our bed and we would know, okay, this is this is just going to last a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks at the worst. No big deal. I'm just not feeling well. But the forefront of you, that fight or flight reflex is going, nope, this could be it. This could be death. And as you're feeling sick, you couldn't care less about your tasks, your laundry piling up, your email, tomorrow's, you know, requirements and responsibilities. All you can think about is how you don't feel well. That's what it feels like when you're not rooted. So the last thing you're thinking about is having faith, dreaming, hoping, possibilities, the crown chakra. But think about the opposite. When you are feeling that, you're feeling so high vibrational. You're feeling hopes and dreams and you're having so much faith and you're feeling so positive about life. That is a really, really good sign that you are feeling rooted, that you are rooted and and grounded and safe and secure if you're able to get into that headspace. Now, when we think about this from a yogic perspective, you cannot get into a meditative space, a mindful space without first feeling rooted without first feeling safe and secure. That's why safe spaces, secure spaces, grounding practices, sitting in easy pose, feeling your tail rooting into the earth, all of that is so important. Getting your breath aligned, your breath calms the body, calms the mind, begins to connect you because it would be completely impossible to meditate while gunshots are going off, for instance. Think about it. Makes sense, right? Which is why those who have suffered from trauma, those who are still actively living in trauma, suffering from, suffering from PTSD, have a really, really challenging time getting into a meditative state. That's why part of my responsibility as a trauma-informed yoga teacher is to create safe, spaces for my practitioners, letting them know where their exits are, letting them know how they can put their back up against the wall. They can choose to not close their eyes. They can wear earphones for relaxing music for the first 20 minutes to get their minds calm. They can have something with them that makes them feel calm, like a stress ball in their hands or a special blanket or how repeating a mantra can really vibrate the mind. I mean, all of this stuff is really important and I don't want to digress too deep into that because then that will take away from what we're discussing in general in today's chat when it comes to yoga and the chakra system. But this gives you 
a really overview, bird's eye view of the why and the how yoga can be such a healing modality. Okay, so now I want you to think about that with what we're going to dive deeper into as we discuss coping mechanisms and the different stages of grief. Now, as I mentioned with the chakra systems, it's like a staircase. It's it's taking step one, step two, and so on. With the stages of grief, you can fluctuate. You may go through the stages as they're presented and then go back to stage one or jump to stage four or go back to stage two and then jump to stage five. And it may happen constantly, automatically, and that is okay. You do not need to arrive to some destination at any time. That's really important to understand. So let's discuss what these stages would look like, okay? The first stage of grief is denial. Denial, denial, denial. Denial, this is a normal reaction. It is the way that the brain rationalizes overwhelming emotions. It is a defense mechanism and it buffers the immediate shock of loss. Denial. The second stage is anger. Anger is this numbing effect of the denial stage. It's where it begins to wear off, where you finally realize, wait a minute, I do hurt. You know, if the denial stage is the numb, the anger stage is the feeling that the numbing is wearing off. It is the pain of the loss that starts to grasp onto our lives as we search for who or what is to blame. It is a feeling of intense guilt. It is the result of lashing out anger. The third stage is bargaining. This is when we start to go, well, what if? What if I would have done it this way? What if it would have happened? What if I would have never gone? What if I would have never said? What if I would have been this whole entire different human? It is bargaining. And it serves a really, really important purpose. It provides a temporary escape from the pain. It provides a little bit of hope as well. It gives the brain an alternative, an alternate path. It's like watching a movie, like a really, really intense movie. And at the end, they give different options of how the movie can end. Instead of the tragic way that the movie ends, it says, well, what if we just created this different butterfly effect and it ended on a more happier note or a less tragic note? 
that's sort of what the mind begins to do. It also gives you time, the person time to adjust to the reality of the situation because what happens is you go, well, what if I would have never left my house that morning? But then your mind says, but you had to leave the house that morning. You had to go to work or you had to drop off the kids or you leave every morning. You cannot not leave the house, right? So your mind kind of tells you, well, that's not realistic. And then the fourth stage is depression. Now, this is the type of depression that is not a sign of mental illness. It is the appropriate response to great loss. This is where you might experience intense sadness, decreased sleep, reduced appetite, maybe even increased appetite, a loss of motivation. These are all common responses to depression as a stage of grief. And then the fifth is acceptance. This is accepting the idea, the fact, the reality of a loss. Maybe even just accepting that nothing can change that reality. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean that you're going to have understanding, that you're going to be okay. It's just accepting that it happened. All right, now let's let's talk about this stuff a little bit deeper, okay? Because this is important. This is important to understand, just like the chakra system, to understand where you're at and where you're not, and that's okay. Now, when we think about some of the reasons that you all listed, and I'm going to just bring those up again, breakups, death, loss of job, aging, infertility, loss of creativity. Those were some of the ones that came up in the survey. I'm going to look and see what is coming up in the chat. For those of you who are listening on Yoga Podcast, I'm just pausing because our moderator is asking for any new ideas, any new thoughts about types of grief that people have experienced, especially now that we've had our opening. And those of you who are listening on Yoga Podcast, what's coming up for you? What are you thinking about? We are going to get into some ideas of delayed grief or chronic grief or masked grief, which will sort of come up in these ideas and these stages as well. And we're just going to take things as a bit of a holistic overview approach. We're not going to get too deep because this stuff is is really layered like an onion I mean you could just peel back one layer and then and then another and another and another and there's so much 
But really, today we're talking about areas that you can at least acknowledge and go, okay, I felt that or, or I see that, I get that. And if we have moments of silence and you're thinking, it's also really great to breathe, you know? I like this one. I'm going to add this to my list. Loss of a friendship. I love that. Okay, so as everyone's still, still sort of chatting and and maybe thinking, maybe journaling even. Let's talk about these stages again. All right, denial. Denial is a stage that I believe people live in for a very long time. Sometimes a lifetime, right? Um, but definitely this is where we see a lot of masking begin to branch off. And let's talk about the word masking. Masking is exactly how it sounds think about putting on a mask you know maybe you are needing to appear a certain way appear happy might be a basic idea but let's get a little bit more deeper into what that really means you need to appear functional, right? You need to appear like you are a parent. You need to appear like you are an executive. You need to appear like you are whatever your profession is. This is where when we were talking about that toxic positivity part of self might also show up, right? But even if it's not that exactly, it is identifying to, a, to an extent where you don't even know who you are anymore with whatever your title is. Title as mom, title as dad, title as loving sibling, title as loving child, title as loving friend, title as doctor, title as yoga teacher, title as bank teller, whatever it is, you know, sometimes this is where people become really successful in leaning into those titles. Again, I like to think of this as the pos toxic positivity side of self. You know, you're going to be the best at whatever that title is, the best athlete, the best student, the best daughter, son, mom, dad, worker, business owner, and sometimes that looks from the outside looking in as a really success story. Like, wow, Jimmy is such a good attorney. And that might come out of masking. It might not, but let's just say in, in for today's discussion, this is where it's coming from. It could also be not so healthy, right? It could, it could lean into masking yourself to not having purpose. Denial can also look like 
well, I don't know anybody else this has happened to, so it's probably just happened to me. So I'm just going to ignore that shame and and possibly this guilt that I'm putting on myself and I'm just going to pretend it never happened. And it's perfect because everybody else who knows that this has happened, if they do, is also going to live in denial. We're just all going to deny the big elephant in the room. And then for those of us who are not good at masking, right? We're not good at playing the day-to-day charades of life. We might feel that anger. You know, I feel like that two categories is where people really live in their grief, especially when we're thinking about deep-rooted, deep-seated trauma. The type of trauma that shows up in the root chakra, that shows up in the sacral chakra, The type of trauma that might come from being violated sexually. And remember, I don't want to get too deep into this, but sexual violation doesn't have to also be physical. It can could be mental. It could be emotional. It could be seeing things, learning things, hearing things, noticing things before you were emotionally and mentally and developmentally able to cope with that information. There's a time in your life where you have the wisdom, that third eye chakra, that intuition, where if you've already feel aligned and developed in your life, you can understand new information, right? Think about it this way. When you're an adult and you're watching the news or you're watching a horror film or you're watching, um, you're reading a, a a riveting thriller or whatever the case may be, you have the cognitive awareness, the developmental awareness to know the difference between what you're watching, reading, experiencing, understanding the information you're getting and what's happening in real life for you, for instance. But if you're not quite there yet, you're a child or you're just not developmental, ready to experience that type of, you don't have the wisdom, I suppose, that information could actually be traumatizing, right? This is where children believe that their parents divorcing is because of them versus as an adult understanding that divorce, statistically anyway, is and can be a natural progression of the experience as a human in today's society, right? That argument is a highly intellectual argument and philosophical on some standpoint. But a child who doesn't understand why it's happening may just make an assumption based on their own developmental intellect and cognitive approach to life at that time, causing unneed, undue trauma. Your parents talking to you about their sex life or their money issues or a child witnessing violence is all going to create a developmental block 
in that space that will need to be unpacked one day. Which is, again, going back to COVID-19 and all that we all experienced collectively in 2020 and beyond, we still don't know the effects that this will have on children and what the effects on different households and how different households dealt with this complete collective traumatic experience has on those who didn't have the wisdom to understand that this too shall pass, that mantra may actually associate or disassociate this experience with or from, right? Okay, so the two categories that most people live in is denial, masking, or anger. Anger, again, is searching for blame, right? So let's just go through some of the reasons why people experience grief. Let's use infertility as one. So if you're in denial, you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not experiencing infertility issues. I'm just not planning my cycle, my fertility cycle out correctly. Maybe I just need to download this other app or, you know, you're doing everything except going to a fertility specialist and getting, you know, a diagnosis or or understanding your body from a scientific um, approach. Maybe you're hanging upside down every day for 10 minutes or you're trying something esoteric or you're trying three yoga poses for fertility every single day. That could be living in denial. Now, let's say you know you're experiencing infertility, okay? You have the information, the data. Denial would be not acknowledging that you may not be able to conceive that maybe you need to consider options such as adoption or fostering or living child-free or learning to deal with the stress and the grief of loss of the life you thought you would have. Instead, you're just denying all of that, right? Living in anger, which would be the other stage of grief, rather you went from denial to anger or you go and you fluctuate between denial and anger or you live in anger mostly, anger would think, well, this is the other person's fault. Their infertility is affecting my life of not having children. I'm angry at them. Or if it wasn't for you know, me using inorganic soap or whatever, right? Or if I hadn't lived near a cell tower or if I hadn't had an abortion when I was in college or if I, I'm just thinking of all the different things that I've heard people say when they've experienced infertility and dealing with trauma-informed practices and clients. I've heard people say things like, I'm infertile because I was very promiscuous growing up 
or I've heard I'm infertile because I was raped. Um, that wanting to take on that guilt or blaming others or blaming self is a form of dealing with the anger stage of grief. Now, the downside is if you think about it this way, if someone lives in denial their entire life or they live in anger their entire life or they fluctuate between the two and they never make it to acceptance and healing, you can see how over time, how toxic this can begin to become and how that toxicity, which we're going to talk about in a little bit as well, can begin to show up on a physical level even. So let's talk about bargaining. Bargaining, again, is that what if stage. What if I, and let's use another example. Um, Someone said loss of friendship, okay? So loss of friendship would start to think, okay, well, what if I would have called her more? What if I would have gone to lunch with him more? What if I would have been a better friend? What if I would have said I'm sorry sooner? You know, whatever whatever that bargaining chip you're making with yourself is. This gives you that temporary hope because what you're doing is you're daydreaming about the what if. But then the anger might start to come or the next phase, which is depression because what you're going to do is realize there there is no possibility that the loss still exists, right? Now, somebody just put in the chat, and I, I love this example. This is also where sometimes a person may become obsessive. Well, I'm just going to try to make X, Y, and Z happen. Let's use some of the examples of the grief that you, you all experience. Let's use aging. Well, I am going to do everything in my power not to age. I'm going to get plastic surgery. I'm going to use the creams, the potions, the lotions. I'm going to do whatever it takes to prevent myself from feeling this feeling that I have, this feeling of loss and grief. So yes, I do think an obsessive compulsive type of issue or even disorder can start to present Um, I'm going to get this person back. I'm not going to lose my friend. You know, I think death, as I mentioned at the top of today's discussion, is the one area where we are encouraged to really lean into the stages of grief and healing. And it doesn't mean it always happens, but it is something that from a a cultural or society perspective is encouraged. Whereas something like aging It isn't encouraged to grieve the loss of your youth. It's encouraged to fight it, right? To obsessively, compulsively fight it instead of going through the stages. So let's talk about depression. We all understand this, right? It's it's that feeling of hopelessness. This is where that, that area where you need to recognize where you're at on the spectrum of depression because depression is a killer. This is where some people can go and never return. 
This is where depression can lead to addiction. This is where depression could lead into chronic mental illness. This is where depression can lead into suicide. This is where depression can lead into homicide. This is where depression can lead into a point of no return. So if you're experiencing grief and loss and you're not sure where you're at on the spectrum of depression, this is really where you need to seek help. And I believe that you need to seek it immediately. I don't think you need to live in depression beyond a couple of weeks without seeking help. Now, let's talk about what seeking help is really quickly. Seeking help can be, <clears throat> excuse me, calling an ally. And if you've never experienced depression before, I think it's important to have an ally on standby, a person who you can trust, a friend, a loved one, just knowing who that person would be, who comes to your mind right now, a parent, a friend. And if no one comes to mind, if you have been that person for others, let's say, for instance, because sometimes that happens, you are the go-to person for others. This is where seeking professional assistance is really important. Professional assistance can be in the form of many different ways. This can be a licensed professional, like a counselor, a psychologist. And in a lot of cases, I would advise you seek a licensed professional, someone who's licensed to help you with grief and loss and dealing with depression specifically. But let's say you're not there. You're just going through a breakup. You've gone through a hundred breakups in your life, right? Hopefully not hundreds, but this isn't your first rodeo, okay? So you're not thinking you need a licensed professional. It doesn't feel that serious. But you're, you're having loss of appetite. You're feeling uh, the symptoms of depress depression. You're feeling out of self. You're not as creative. You're not being an active member of society right now, right? It's not anything that's a big deal, but you, you feel a little hopeless. This is where you lean into yoga. You lean into drawing, art, running, you know, community, okay? This is where you lean into community, and I like to think of this as stage one. If, if you know you're just at stage one, you, the loss isn't so catastrophic because sometimes that's important too. The feeling of aging might feel very different than death, right? The feeling of a loss of a job might feel very different than losing a project that you pitched, right? The feeling of... Losing your house to foreclosure might feel very different than finding out a house you're renting is being listed for sale and you have to move. The feeling of not getting into the college of your dreams might feel very different than not getting into a fraternity or sorority of your choice this year. Um, 
So this is where you need to discern how intense your feelings are. And then in, in addition to, I'm not saying that the feeling of death and that intense feeling of losing a, a loved one or a pet may not feel just as intense to someone who lost an opportunity or a job or a bid on a property or an application to a college of their choice. That might feel like death to that person as well. So again, I'm not minimalizing anyone's feelings. Your feelings, no matter what they are, are valid. I'm just giving examples for you to discern your own state of mind. My opinion doesn't matter anyway, right? I'm just being informational. And I think that's really important. Do not give your power to me or anyone else to decide what you should be feeling. I think the trickiest part of going through loss and and expressing that with others and looking for community or even having conversations and getting advisement from friends and family and loved ones is sometimes you're seeking advisement is seeking affirmation or validation. And I think that that's where working with a licensed professional is really imperative because a person who is trained to work with you, and I say licensed professional, but it's a trained professional because I'm not licensed as a rape crisis counselor, but I am trained as a rape crisis counselor. So a trained professional knows how to help you discern what you are feeling and thinking, not to give you information that will substitute your own awareness and judgment, but to help you to discern what that awareness and judgment is for yourself. It's to give you the tools to process your thoughts and your feelings. Okay, so that's really important. And I hope if nothing else is retained from today's discussion, that that is the biggest thing that you retain, okay? Do not substitute anyone's opinion for where you should be and feel and how you should go about it for your own. Now, the final stage of grief is acceptance. This is that area where you finally come to terms with, let's use another example on the list, um, loss of job, okay? Someone put that on the survey where you go, you know what? I lost my job. I lost my job due to downsizing. I lost my job due to a mistake I made. I lost my job due to retirement even. I lost my job due to the industry. I lost my job due to whatever the reason may be. And I'm not going to get it back in the capacity that I am thinking of it in. Maybe I can speak with a career counselor or a creative coach or a life coach or a trained professional or some friends or somebody else in that field, a mentor, and I can come up with some options. What does life look like after retirement for me? Could I be a consultant? Could I do something I never thought about before? Could I turn a hobby into a second career, a third career. Maybe 
I could get a similar position in the same industry or the same space, maybe this is an opportunity to let it go in its entirety and do something completely new. But as you can tell, this is a place where you let go. Let's use another example. Someone put in the chat how to deal with acceptance when you do not feel that you can accept it. I love that question because the answer is complicated. I would first say this is a really good experience, a good opportunity for you, I should say, to experience the entire range of emotion, feelings, and thoughts that you're having with someone who is trained. If you do not feel acceptance, and let's go through all the list of what you all were talking about. Infertility, I cannot accept that I will not have a child of my own, birth a child of my own. I cannot accept that this breakup is happening, this divorce is happening, that this relationship is over. I cannot accept that this person has died, this pet has died. I cannot accept this loss of a job or opportunity. I cannot accept that I'm aging. I cannot accept that I have lost my creativity, that I cannot write another book, perform live again, write another song, paint a magnificent painting like the last one I did. Someone just put, Losing losing an opportunity. I like that. Losing an opportunity to do something big. And and they have they're talking about it now, but basically what they're saying for yoga podcast listeners is that feeling of I I'm never going to be who I thought I would be. I love that. And maybe that kind of can go with aging too. Maybe aging isn't just aesthetic, but it's getting to a point in life where you're like, wow, I, I'm not going to be a doctor or I'm not going to pass the bar or I don't have what it takes to be in the NFL. Those are, those are actually really great. Thank you for bringing that up because that can kind of go in line with creativity in a way, but really it's, it's a loss of self, identity. And that's scary, right? Because if we do not find a way to have acceptance, and sometimes we have to search, 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 that's where we can lead into that dangerous part of depression, where it can turn into addiction, can turn into suicide, can turn into permanent pain. So let's, let's focus on that for the remainder of today's session, loss of self-identity, because really any of these ideas and concepts can be attached to that, right? If, if you're having infertility, the identity that you had was raising a family, being a parent. If you're going through a breakup, that loss of identity, that self-identity was whatever that lifestyle was that you made with this other person. If someone died, if a pet died, if a person died in your life, that could also affect who you feel you are. 
depending on the circumstance, right? And if you're having a tough time with, with the death, it is because your attachment to that identity, okay? So let's hold on to that word attachment as well. Loss of a job, again, loss of identity. Aging, loss of identity. Creativity, loss of identity. Friendship could be a part of that loss of identity. All of it pretty much leads back to loss of self-identity. When we think about the chakra system again, that means you are erupting that entire alignment, right? You are thrown off of your kilter. So let's let's go back really quick. I'm going to circle back to depression, right? Because that's the scariest part of the process is living in that space. Because there could be some really, really life-altering decisions that could be made, right? Addiction, suicide, things of that nature. When we think about denial, denial is pretending, masking, not acknowledging. It's a self-defense mechanism. It is trying to prevent possibly what could happen in depression, right? It's, it's trying to prevent that. It's, it's holding down the fort for as long as you can. Denial's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not a self-fulfilling life, right? It's denial can be helpful, right? It's I'm going through a divorce, but when I'm at work, I am not going to acknowledge that pain that I'm going through at home because I need to teach children today or I need to operate in surgery or I need to do something that is more important than thinking about the pain, right? So denial can actually be useful, but introspection, Truly, truly finding the wisdom of your life, doing the work of your life and living a fulfilling life and not falling into triggers and not giving your power away and and repeating cycles over and again and living in the in in your shadow side and just living a life that at the end of the day, when you are a hundred years old and you get to reflect, you get to go, you know what? I I did best I could in understanding myself, which is the most important task and job that I can honor, is to to try to live the most fulfilling part of my own life that I can, right? Denial can give us an opportunity to continue to live life operationally. So if life is like a structure of a business, you have the tactical side and you have the the strategic side. And on the tactical side, you have the day-to-day operations and on the strategic side, you have the vision, right? And in a business infrastructure, the person who is handling the tactical operational side is typically the front line, the management. And the side that is um, handling the strategic vision side is the executive, the board, 
the people who can look at things from a broader spectrum, who can envision the future and put into place processes so that the people who are on the front line and managing those processes are not worried about what's going to happen in the future because everything that they're doing is getting things handled for today. They're, they're living in the present and the other people are taking data from the past and applying it for future data of the future. And as you can see, it's hard to wear both of those hats at the same time, right? It's hard to fight a fire while also coming up with a new way of fighting the fire. But at the same time, Sometimes it takes the people who fought the fire to go, well, this is what we should do in the future. So the best way to be proactive is to lean into what it takes to heal now. So I'm kind of talking in riddles and circles here, but what I'm trying to say is, if you think about it this way, the best person who can come up with a future strategy and vision is a person who knows what it took to fight the fire. It doesn't always work out that way, right? Sometimes a person who fights the fire cannot envision how to make something better. They just know what they know. And sometimes a person who can vision something really amazing for the future, a dreamer, sometimes cannot figure out how to do the fine details. But for the most part, those who can give back the most is the ones who somehow figured out balance of the two. And that's, that's what we're doing in today's session, right? We are figuring out how to turn our grief into living the best version of our lives for the future or helping others to do it. So that's the ideal situation ultimately. That is true acceptance is going, my self-identity, however I envisioned the future of this company to be, COVID-19 came in and changed everything because I could have never planned for that. Now, COVID-19's happened, so for the next two to three decades, you better believe the people who lived through COVID are able to now strategize for what businesses, processes could look like if a COVID ever hit. So if you, let's use some of these examples. Let's just use the example of breakups because most of us have experienced a breakup. Your first breakup was probably under the age of 25. Your second breakup might have been something more substantial, right? Your first breakup might have been teenage love, your first love. Your second breakup might have been a divorce. For a lot of people, there's multiple breakups in between the first love and a divorce or something that feels like a divorce, right? And so it doesn't change how painful each breakup is, but it does provide wisdom, hopefully, right? And the more you were able to deal with the last scenario 
by visiting all five stages, not being stuck in denial. So think about it this way. If your first breakup happened and you had denial, anger, bargaining, and depression, but you never really leaned into acceptance, you just moved on, right? Which is a part of maybe denial and not acceptance. You didn't move on from a place of acceptance. You moved on from a place of denial. Like, ah, he or she didn't deserve me anyway. They were not good enough or I wasn't good enough. Or I knew we were just going to break up anyway because X, Y, and Z, some sort of like self-fulfilling prophecy belief system. That could all be a part of that denial phase, right? Or bargaining phase. And then you just get into another relationship, right? Acceptance looks more like, wow, I accept that we were not good for each other. I accept that this person and I outgrew each other. I don't like that. I miss them or I don't miss them, but I accept it. I'm going to heal from this. And then my next relationship, I'm going to be wiser with how I choose my mate, how I respond to stressors, if I was cheated on, if I cheated, if whatever the scenario is, it's doing the work. I think that acceptance is synonymous with doing the work. Denial is synonymous with pretending you did the work. And I think we all understand on some sort of level what that might look like. Now, if you're in the thick of it, you might need that trained professional or community to help you discern your thoughts and your feelings. But when you're outside of it, you can really grasp the difference. Okay. All right. So I want to touch on a couple of other things before we wrap up the session. Let's talk about, let me see here. Give me just a second, pulling up my other notes. Yes, and there's some good conversation that's happening. Um, let's talk about that because I think, I think this is good. I see a lot of people are talking about supporting others. Um, and, and also supporting themselves through these processes and remembering that you can fluctuate. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, allowing the pain to exist. Someone put that. And, and I, wanna, I wanna lean into that because that is absolutely true. Allowing the pain to exist. There is something that happens in the psyche when you acknowledge your feelings. Which is why, again, when we talk about denial or anger, remember anger is blaming, blaming yourself, blaming someone else, blaming a situation. Denial is denial. But there's something about acknowledging how you feel, acknowledging what happened, that demystifies all of it and can allow you to move through the stages and also seek help because for some reason the 
dangerous parts of depression typically happens when we do not allow the pain to exist, right? Because, and, and let's clarify pain. Pain isn't just that intense feeling of, of literal pain, but it's, it, it's allowing your feelings. So let's just say allowing your feelings to exist just to further break up that word pain. Allowing your feelings to exist, your feelings of hurt, your feelings of anger, your feelings of sadness, your whatever the feelings are, guilt even. I know that when I've worked with clients and even myself, sometimes it's not always the feeling of the traditional pain of loss and grief, but it's sometimes that guilt Like, you know you caused that feeling for someone else. That can also, you know, put you in these stages of grief. And I think we don't talk about that enough. Like, I I knew I had to break up with this person. I knew that I was the person who had the infertility issues. I knew I had to fire my employee or lay off people. I knew I had to make these decisions that are is causing other people to go through grief and loss. Okay. Um, another person put in the chat, how do you help comfort someone, which is along the same line, but I, I want to touch on it. How do you help comfort someone who's experiencing loss such as death? permanent loss it's not this kind of loss where you can either permanent loss like infertility could be a good example divorce could be an example and death right those are permanent losses where you cannot help them search for a silver lining you know you don't want to tell somebody who just found out that they're not going to be able to conceive children to go well great this means that x y and z right or someone who is going through divorce You don't want to say, well, great, this means that, you know, you can date again or someone who's died or someone who's lost a pet. Just get another pet. You know, you're fine. You do not want to search for a silver lining. I think in those scenarios, all you can do is be a supportive presence and actively listen really have that throat chakra alignment within you. And if you know that you cannot be that person for them, don't try to be, right? Because you don't want to create a trigger. This is when you just kindly suggest they seek a trained professional. I really think that you should see a therapist to help you go through this. I think that that would be so good for you. Do you want me to help you find one, get some recommendations and suggestions? Something as simple as that. And that's not always simple. You know, people have belief systems and and they also feel like maybe you're not being supportive if you're telling them to go see someone else. So it's definitely tricky Um, But when in doubt, just be actively listening. 
sometimes people, we underestimate the need for people to just express themselves. We underestimate the need for people to express themselves. We underestimate the need for people to just simply talk about their feelings. People talking about their feelings is not always an invitation for you to express your feelings or your thoughts. A trained professional listens. They're, they're pretty much trained to actively listen, to hear what the person's saying. Now, if you're a trained professional, you're listening for cues, for areas of intervention, perhaps. But if you're just a friend or a loved one, you're just actively listening. You do not always need to have a scenario, an opinion, a competing thought, or even an opportunity for you to feel the same. You do not need to say, well, this reminds me of when I was going through that. Fill in the blank. Or, oh, I also lost my dog. I understand how you feel. It's great to... If you do have an exact scenario where you, let me give you a little pro tip here. Actually, if you are actively listening and someone is going through a situation in their life that's causing them to feel grief and they're expressing their feelings and they're talking about their feelings and you're offering a sacred safe space for them to do so, you're holding space for them. If you have an exact experience that you've gone through with with them, right? Or like them, I should say. I'm, I'm thinking as I'm talking. This would be similar to like a group where someone's in a bereavement group, right? Where everyone's talking about losing someone to a drunk driver and everyone has a very very foundational, fundamental, common denominator, which is we all lost someone we love to a drunk driver. Or we all have experienced infertility. Or we all have gone through a divorce. Or we all have lost a limb while serving our country. Or we all have experienced cancer. The list goes on. So you're kind of getting where I'm going with this. It's that same fundamental foundational experience of grief and loss. It is not the same, however, if someone's telling you that they have lost a child to drunk, excuse me, they have lost a child and another person has lost a pet. Or I have infertility and I lost a limb. Now, that could seem similar to some people, right? But it's not the same. I'm going through a divorce, but I had a miscarriage. Could seem similar, but is not the same. So what I'm trying to say is your friend or loved one is saying, I just had a miscarriage. 
and I'm devastated. And you say, oh, I completely understand what you're going through. It reminds me of the divorce I went through last year. I felt so much pain. Now, if you guys are having conversation and you both are discussing what it feels like to go through pain, loss, and depression, and you both feel safe and secure and you feel in a safe space with each other, that could work. But it's very tricky because what could happen is if a person isn't feeling heard and they are actively or acutely experiencing pain, I should say, and they're saying, I'm, they're just for the first time, second time, third time expressing themselves. And you go, oh my gosh, I completely understand what you're feeling. Reminds me of when I was going through my divorce last year. They could easily get triggered and say, are you kidding me? This is nothing like going through your divorce last year. And then boom. Now there's conflict and and the pain has been magnified. Now, if this person has been discussing this with you and you've been an active listener and they trust you and you say, oh my gosh, this is reminds me of when I went through my divorce last year. And the person trusts where this conversation is leading and goes, oh, well, how so? And you say, well, because during that divorce, I remember feeling that same feeling that you're describing with your miscarriage and understanding. And, and then now this is opening up a dialogue where you both are talking about your pain of loss, of self, of identity. You know, we were just going to start planning on getting pregnant and we had been trying and the divorce made me, it reminded me that I was not going to have a child this year. Then the person who's going through a miscarriage might go, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I didn't know you guys were planning on, on having a baby. Wow. And, and then now you both are now talking about something very similar again. You can kind of see how that's a slippery slope. So I said all that because essentially this is what the human dynamic is all about. It's about first being rooted and grounded, right? And it's secondly about feeling safe and secure. And without feeling rooted and grounded and safe and secure, the rest really just doesn't matter, no matter what scenario you put yourself in. If you're going and talking with a trained professional, you're going to feel rooted and grounded and safe and secure. It's like inherent unless that trained professional ruins it right? It's an, it's an implied feeling. But without that energy, we don't have a common foundational fundamental place to begin. You have to create that for yourself. You have to create that in community. Even going to a yoga class, I have to create that for my students my practitioners, I have to set that up first and foremost. Otherwise, nothing else can take place in a really meaningful, mindful way. Okay? You have to create this in your life. Your sacred spaces, your home, 
has to feel safe, secure. You are not going to be able to do the work of your life, go through the grief in a way that is healing. You can't just heal yourself with yoga. If every time you leave the studio, you leave the session, you leave the, the, the therapeutic session with your trained professional and you go back to an unsafe, unsecure, unsettled situation called your life. You have to start there. Even just rooting yourself in a seated posture under a tree creates a safe, secure, sacred space, right? So we have to start there. Okay. All right. One last thing and we will wrap today's session up. This has been so great though. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to talk about how grief can affect your body. Okay. I want to talk about some of the phrases we use in common English, right? That means something else. Hey, you look like you're carrying the weight on, of the world on your shoulders. Hey, she or he stabbed me in the back. You are a pain in my neck. This is a sore thumb. This is a back-breaking job. When we use those types of phrases, they're sort of used in a cheeky manner. But if you really dissect them and you really think about where the pain shows up in your body, you might be able to identify where some of the work of trauma ex needs to be done, where it exists on a biological level. Grief can affect your body through headaches, dry mouth, Shortness of breath, nausea, fatigue, stomach pain, and of course, chest pain. Dry mouth reminds me of the throat chakra because we talk about that. Whenever you have a dry mouth, whenever you're coughing a lot, even sometimes that feeling of not being able to breathe intentionally can be a blockage in your throat chakra, meaning there must be a blockage somewhere in the lower chakras. It's a way in Ayurvedic principles and energy work where we begin to dissect what's happening in the body. This is where you see Reiki practitioners come in. You see the area where massage can influence the body. And you can start to make that mind-body connection. And then, of course, the mind-body-spirit connection. Headaches, that can remind us where we are disconnected from the intuition, the third eye, the crown chakra, right? Also being nauseous, tired. Thinking about stomach pain, this is really one that you see happening with children, 
adults. This is such a good sign of trauma that lives in the body in the solar plexus, the sacral chakra. I'm going to bring up something, and I don't want to live here but for a second, but as a rape crisis counselor, one of the things that I've thought about, and especially in my own research, I love reading the the work that Dr. Christiane Northrup has done, where she talks about the trauma that lives in the body and, and presents itself later in life. Those who have been raped and, and molested and traumatized sexually, especially physically, will see that manifest itself in the sexual organs, right? Uh, PCOS, infertility even, dysfunction like erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunctions. And one of the things that we talk about when we think about children presenting symptoms that could be related, not always, but could be related to sexual abuse is wedbedding, bedwetting, not wedbedding, but bedwetting. And when you think about it from the esoteric perspective of the chakra system and energy centers, with what I mentioned earlier with the sacral chakra and the root chakra not being aligned, right? So the root chakra is not aligned. You don't feel safe and secure. And then the sacral chakra is being traumatized, right? And that's where that space lives and where many, many traumas never get healed. And PTSD begins to flourish like a virus. And therefore, none of the other chakras become and are able to be aligned. That's where you can really see that manifest on a really, really deep level. Now, back to grief affecting your body. When I mentioned that a lot of people skip those areas of the chakra system and they go straight to the heart chakra, right? And they become this overtly giving human specimen of a compassionate person. Chest pain being the number one killer, or not chest pain, but chest pain being a symptom of the number one killer of humans, right? Heart attacks. Women, it's a silent killer. They don't even get the chest pain until it's too late. If you think about it, women are also the ones that tend to ignore the sacral and solar plexus chakra and go straight to the heart chakra, become this giving, compassionate person, being, and in some cases, that grief of loss of sense of self, maybe loss of innocence, loss of childhood, loss of lots of things, manifest and turn into a heart attack, you can kind of connect those dots. You can definitely connect those dots. So there's so much more we can talk about in, in this idea and concept, but I want to leave it here because we've already unpacked so much. Perhaps we will have some more sessions on this because this was really, really a high-valued topic. We received such a big response and turnout. Thank you for being here and participating in the chat. 
our moderator who did such an amazing job in answering questions, linking back resources, and presenting some of the work that we're going to be doing in the future. Yoga podcast listeners for listening to today's session. Thank you to the Lululemon Collective that helped sponsor this initiative of what started my journey in utilizing yoga as a healing modality for those who suffer from trauma. Those who suffer from PTSD, which is a daily need for awareness of healing because you are stuck in this loop of being triggered This is where we are trying to do the work that Yoga Podcast has afforded us to be able to do and working with licensed therapists, skilled and trained professionals, arts and practices like yoga to help us have a lifetime of healing and learning how and what grief even looks like and shows up in our lives. Becoming proactive and not reactive, becoming a thriver and not just a survivor, and giving us all a voice to begin to speak our truths, help others, mentor and guide, and protect. And living a life that we are designed to live and entitled to. So thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. I'm just going to look and see if there's anything else that I need to address in some of the questions. My moderator has given me some some pointers. Okay. I do not see anything that we didn't cover or that she didn't answer or that you guys didn't answer between each other. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's end here. I'm going to share a beautiful, beautiful poem. Well, it's, I guess it's not a poem, but it's, it's a 10 rules of grief writing that was shared by someone in the sacred space forum at the beginning of some of the work that we did in this group. And it goes like this. Number one, there are no rules, period. You will grieve your way. You will not grieve another person's way. The way that you choose to grieve may only make sense to you. It doesn't need to make sense to anyone else. There are no rules on how to grieve, period. 
and she starts to speak in first person. I will grieve my way, not your way. My way may not make sense to you, but it doesn't make sense to me either. The grief timeline is long, and if I begin to move on in two months, something is wrong. If I begin to move on in two years, be impressed. Hugs are and always will be better than words. Just ask my permission first. When you ask me how I am, I may be masking my true feelings because the truth may not be pretty. If I question my faith, do not condemn me. It is normal. Yes, I realized I am blessed and I have gratitude, but some days I may forget this realization. Do not try to understand my overwhelming emotions. It will exhaust us both. I don't need your understanding. I just need you. Honor my pain by walking with me, not directing me. I am not a victim. I am grieving. Treat my journey with respect and compassion for your turn will come. And my grief doesn't make sense. There are no rules, period. So when I say these are my 10 rules of grief, just know there are more than 10 rules. At the same time, there are no rules. Because the truth is, rules make me feel safe and secure. But understanding there are no rules gives me hope and faith. All right, everyone. Thank you for being here. Go in peace, go in peace, go in peace. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. Please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste. Namaste.